Welcome back to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. My guest this week is Alexandra Petri. Alexandra writes the humorous compost blog of the Washington Post and is the author of A Field Guide to Awkward Silences. Alexandra and I discussed her doing stand-up comedy at 17, dressing up as a Civil War general, and accidentally joining a cult. Let's do it. Alexandra, also known as Alex Petrie. Exactly. Petri. Petri. Fudge. No one thinks to pronounce it. But you have this but Petri dishes. I know. I'm setting myself up for failure by using the Twitter handle that I use. Yeah. But because no other Petri is ever going to be more famous than the guy who did the dish, and he was a Petri. Right? Yeah. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. You, We have a mutual friend of Kevin Burroughs who I've tried to get on, but he's... In L.A. and it is always busy. Yeah, making making the dreams live. Yeah, in the city of concrete hope. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of like your past, how you got to where you are. Like you're currently the political comedy writer of the Wapo blog Compost. Yes, which the name- I need to figure out how to politely f- and how to say that the right way. What is it? I feel like you could just like say like. You write a political humor blog for the Washington Post, and that's probably... Yeah, I know it's called Compost. It's called Compost, but we try to forget this fact as often as possible. Although, (laughs) lately people have been... One of the insults that people go to with the Washington Post is they say, like, the Washington Piss or the Washington Compost. And whenever people are like, you write for the Washington Compost, they're like, actually, we have a blog called the Compost. So for that purpose, it's kind of useful. But it dates back to when all the blogs used to have to have posts in the name. So we have, like, post-partisan and post... Oh. I think... Post because it had to be from the Washington Post or post because it was, like, official? I think it was just that was our naming convention because we thought it was cool. Because there was a blog called... I want to say we had a pregnancy blog called like postpartum but i feel like that might have been too on the nose that i'm making it up because i want it to be true but hey it's the trump era so (laughs) um we we definitely had that blog and it existed because you and i both were about the same age i think we are yeah but we um both come from an era too in which the term blog wasn't really taken serious right like yeah, if for you a long had time, a blog... i used to be like no i also have a column which i do i have a print column in the newspaper every saturday and so my parents are proud of me and think that i'm doing something with my life but like now i'm like also the blog is where most people read the newspaper is yeah. on the internet i haven't read a physical newspaper in years but i've been subscribing to newspapers for years so like yeah. it's yeah i mean i basically i just consume everything via you know a mobile device um so I kind of want to talk about like how you got to that point because, you know, one of the biggest things is you are, and I'll just kind of like list some of your accomplishments here. So Whoa. graduated from an extremely prestigious university, so, so nice and prestigious that some people are often like even embarrassed to say how how good and, and great that it was and is uh, that w- that you went to with Kevin. Do you care if I say? Oh it? no, go ahead and okay, say. Okay, so it. you went to Harvard, crushed <laughs> it, which um, then you go. And you're an intern at you're an intern at the Washington Post. Yep. And then you basically turn down Oxford to a Renaissance program, right? I was going to study like yeah, Renaissance literature, English literature, Renaissance poetry. Yeah. And then the Post was like, "Or do you want to stay on and maybe be keep the youngest doing this? women's?" And I was columnist. like, "Well, at the time, I was like sharing a blog, and I was just sort of posting everything on the so that you'd have like a serious take serious take political insider serious take and then there'd be me being like celery's evil because i was like if you go back to some of that it's very cringeworthy and 
there was one actually, which I think you can still find where I was doing all of my illustrations by hand in MS Paint. If you can do MS Paint illustrations by hand. Yeah. And so I was writing about some tainted celery because it was back in the day when everything had to be like search engine optimized and that was how you did your headline. <laughs> and so like whenever anything was trending on Google, I'm like, I got to write about it so we can get those fine clicks. Yeah. And so there was a trending story about tainted celery. So I hate celery. And I fine. wrote it's a piece water. being like, all celery is tainted. And some celery being tainted is not news because all celery is tainted. <laughs> and then I had drawn this angry celery and I'd saved it as celery.jpg. And my editor like saw it and was like, oh, that's probably just a normal picture of celery that isn't like an angry MS paint celery. <laughs> and it turned out, like he saw it published and he was like, I didn't realize that we'd published this angry MS paint celery. But <laughs> it was fine. It was sort of my brand at the time was like drawing angry things in MS paint. But and that's that's like some of the stuff I want to get at is not I mean, obviously, the, the MS Paint's pretty funny, but you've become and at least from other stuff that I've read about you and other stuff online that you've become this like figurehead and representation of what it means to be a modern, educated woman. Uh Oh, <laughs> and, no. And this is I mean, this is awesome stuff. Uh, you know, I watched your TED talk and I go down this Google rabbit hole of you. <laughs> and so it's it's also cool because you get to have this sort of. I'm like, oh, okay, I watch this, I read this, I wonder how this person's really like. Yeah. And I was blown away and really, really inspired at not just your communication style, not the fact that there's also humor into it that, for me, made it a little bit more approachable versus, you know, like, here's how to communicate. But, like, watching your TED Talk, I was like, oh, man, you're totally right. And and this is I'm referring to you know, uh, I think you talked about like women in the workplace yeah. and like how to respond. It's called how to speak woman. Yeah. No, yeah. it's like a, cause it's also sort of, I look at it from the distance of just a year away and I'm like, oh man, to me, I'm like, I, even at the time that I was saying that, that was just like me describing my process of awakening to feminism and it, it's still relatively basic. And now I'm like, oh man, there's so many other problems that I like was not aware of. And I'm sure there's even more things that I'm still not aware of. So I think it's a constant process of just being like, Hey, gosh. But like what that the talk is some of that stuff you had you had said you had printed earlier, correct? It actually all stemmed from this one piece that I'd written uh, called called like Woman in a Meeting, which was about how would because Jennifer Lawrence was talking about how whatever she spoke of in a meeting, people said, why were you so angry? Why were you being so bitchy? And she was like, I was just expressing my opinion in a straightforward (laughs) manner. And so I took that and from that, I rewrote a bunch of sayings from history. And as though a woman were saying them in a meeting. So instead of being like, let my people go, it was like, Dave, if you could, I just felt like maybe it would be a great idea not to keep the people here. But and and like a bunch of people latched onto that. And I was getting emails from all these scientists. I actually got an email from Sheryl Sandberg. Which yeah, was very that's cool. what I was going to I was going to plug. And they who's were, the COO of Facebook. Yeah, no, she was famous like, for writing the lean in book, right? She leans in so far. <laughs> actually, I have a book on my desk right now that says, if you lean in, well, people just stare down your blouse. So, <laughs> But it, what was fascinating for me was hearing from so many people who were having that experience. And, and I guess like what I love about the Internet is it's so many people's sort of minds in jars. And you get to hear from the inside of people that to, to be like, yeah, I saw the same thing. Like, I, I'm here with you. I'm experiencing what you're experiencing. And it's not just a bonkers thing that happened to you one time in a meeting. And it's not you personally. It's everyone. And then also for other things where I'm like, I've never experienced that. Can that possibly be true? And then being able to like go through Twitter and be like, oh, no, that's actually happening. Right. So, 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things about the internet, too, is, like, there's this bubble, you know, and this is, I mean, I won't talk, like, again, like, all, like, this crazy election or this fake news or non-fake news, whatever it is, but, like, I realized how much I love to be in my bubble, you know, my, my New York, my Brooklyn bubble, you know, and I talk about how open I am to all these other things, but in a lot of ways, I realize, like, no, I still prefer this bubble. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah, like, it's so difficult for me um naturally to try to be more aware of what is out there and like what people are dealing with and experiencing because like watching yeah. that I think video the internet in its purest form is yeah. like this wonderful tool to increase your empathy and where you get to scroll through and hear these live feeds from uh, everyone else's experience in the world and that's the coolest thing possible but it's also become this horrible cesspool of meanness at Very the same true. time you have like so. 4chan and then you have like you know like the toast yeah yeah exactly so I mean, I know we, we kind of went down the rabbit hole a bit right there, but how, th- I mean, this didn't just happen to you overnight, right? I mean, you went to school, you know, you'd said that you'd become an English major, but what really got you into, um, I mean, at least like writing in general? I think what got me into writing was the things that I'd always grown up reading. And I was looking back on my diary from college and I was just sort of- Physical diary or it was no, journal? It, it was a- laptop-based word document that oh I nice saved. yeah it was a private diary but it kept track of all my movements um but yeah my live journal will never be revealed to the public <laughs> i keep trying to burn it but you can't burn the internet it's very which is difficult a great shame but also a great <laughs> boon although no you can erase it down a memory hole i guess but no i was looking at it and i was like what am i going to do with my life i know i want to write but in what format and it didn't occur to me then but all of the things that i'd grown up reading were sort of short form humor like james thurber these days robert benchley because i ran out of thurber and if you run out of thurber you got to read benchley because he's like the methadone to the heroin that is thurber i say not having any experience of either of those drugs just being like probably reading these like early 20th century humorists (laughs) that's a similar experience so i don't know if your listeners are experts they can correct me and i apologize for that was fun comparison but like all the stuff i'd grown up reading turned out to be the kind of stuff that came out when I started writing in my own voice. And so instead of being like, ah, I should be off in the valley of the angels making television, I'm like, maybe if I just state my opinion, people will be interested. And at first they weren't, but I think increasingly I've just, by listening more and writing more, you build that muscle up and hopefully I built it up. Because you have, you also have a pretty damn good Twitter. Um, (laughs) I mean, I was like, there's a lot of good memes on there. It's mostly just terrible puns because <laughs> I have no shame in making awful puns. Yeah, well, we had talked about, you said that there's a pun oh, society. Yeah. No, the O. Henry pun-off is an annual pun competition. in Which you attended. Which I attended and competed in and won back in the year 2014. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but there's like Punderdome 3000 right here in Brooklyn. And oh, it's once a month. Yeah, you got to go. It's amazing. <laughs> it's you spontaneously. They give you a minute. You have to come up with all these puns. It's a sort of knockdown, drag out battle. They Find give the, you like a subject to, to pun with. Yeah, gotcha. I won a vacuum one time. Eh, Not like an emptiness, reward. but like a, a household cleaning tool. Right. That was kind of that wasn't a pun. That was just me stating two different meanings that a word could have. No, I hear you. They would have come down hard on me in the pun community for that sort of statement. But, but so you have you have this Twitter that has like great memes stuff that's <laughs> the dankest of memes <laughs> yeah the true dankest of memes i mean 
but you also have really managed to capture a voice of what it means to be honestly like this millennial that's trying to grasp like how to grow up and how to handle everything that's happening right now in terms of the government, the election, and how to function, how to how to be this normal adult. And I I just want to know like what were some some sort of the things that I mean was this intentional? I mean I mean is there some sort of like product study and like that you're A B testing these tweets? I mean what. I think one of the things that, insofar as I've learned anything, and I feel like the more I write and the more I read and the more I exist in the world, the less I'm convinced that I'm A, interesting, or B, know anything about anything. <laughs> so that's a, always a great place to start. But I do think just be, trying to be as honest as possible and as specific as possible are always how I'm going. So at first I was like very like sort of like self-century and was trying to think, oh no, what if this is looked at in years from now? Will like this still be acceptable and all of these things? And now I'm just trying to sort of answer the questions that presented. Like I have this weird weekly live chat, which the Post has been doing live chats for, oh gosh, I think years and years and years. And every Tuesday at 11 a.m., a bunch of people will come in and like just send in texts of like whatever their concerns are. So it'll be, you know, my hair smells like a skunk because I washed it with lemon verbena soap. How can you solve this? And I will have to solve that and we'll get the whole chat together trying to solve it. Or there'll be a man in Philadelphia who wants to know if I've had my birthday spanking. Just things like that. Mm. I, I think he's in Philly just based on the uh, IP, IP tracking. IP tracking. <laughs> but just so at first when I was doing it, I would sit there, I would take half an hour crafting every response and thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be on the internet forever. And now I'm just trying to say, well, here's what I'm genuine, like genuine enthusiasm. I would say that is my brand (laughs) insofar as brands go. One of the things like I'd read that you'd said that you'll, you look at and you see what's the internet mad at today. Yeah. (laughs) But these days it's just like the internet is mad at everything. And also parts of the internet seem to be on fire. And so the usual model of today we will tackle this it's you really it it feels very much like covering the election in terms of there's always like six different stories and ted cruz has done something today and is it one of those days when we care about what ted cruz has done or not yeah i but, mean when it, like i've read a bunch of stuff where it talks about like the ability to be a good writer is the ability to edit yourself but oftentimes i feel like I'm most able to identify with other writers when it's just these constant streams of thoughts. At least it appears that way, you know? Well, some of my favorite writers on the internet are people like Lindy West and Mallory Ortberg who got their start at very high metabolism blogs where they just had to put out lots of stuff every day. And if they obsessed about making every word perfect, they would be fired and lose their jobs, I assume, because if, if your job is to put out a whole bunch of stuff. And so they developed these really unique voices that i don't think you would have come up with if you were only writing one thing a month and obsessing over it and polishing each word but people loved it and it was closer to actually brain-to-brain communication than a lot of very polished very paragraph by paragraph sort of magazine type writing and so i think realizing that that actually may be what the internet is for and maybe it's not just you've taken a thing that would have appeared in a normal newspaper and put it online but you're trying to communicate in a more sort of lowercase way if that makes sense or all caps way but like (laughs) our paragraphs are still still a relevant unit of thought they definitely are but also there's sort of like the weird line by line by line by line like text post style of communication i don't know i think there's a new form and now now the content's trying to realize that it doesn't need to just be a thing that 
used to exist in another form now transplanted for viewing, but is its own thing. Right. If I can use the word thing as many times as possible, it's clear and coherent. <laughs> for I am a writer and I know how language works. <laughs> well, I, it's funny because um, there was this, are you, you're familiar with Medium, right? Oh, yeah. Like a lot of people use Medium. And their big thing was that like they basically wanted, like Medium was started as an answer to Twitter and that like people were consuming all this media. Yeah. And they wanted to have, a, you were able to do it in longer forms, yeah. right? Because there was all these like faux hacks to twitter like twit longer little extensions that you would do or people would would like um, type out long pieces of text and then they take a picture of it and post that as a tweet yeah yeah and it's funny because like for me now i mean i'm reading most of my most of my news in small quotes and like regurgitated forms of or people's takes on stuff like hot takes (laughs) and it's like ouch yeah, that's, that's my impression of touching a hot take. <laughs> and Radio. It's, like, it's like how do you how do you get out there and like how do you filter some of that stuff? Like in terms of like being a educated like reader and like filtering through the bullshit that is like all these people's opinions all of a sudden. Well, I think it's like people's opinions aren't necessarily bullshit. They're not bullshit until proven otherwise. That's very and true. You're right. You will you can tell from that at least like what people are talking about on a given day and like sometimes somebody was joking that if an asteroid were about to hit the earth they'd find out about it like not directly because like they'd get an alert to their phone being like the asteroid's hitting the earth but from people making jokes about that reference the asteroid collision on twitter and then they were like (laughs) why is everyone like making asteroid based jokes then you would finally go back and find the article and be like oh it's an asteroid it's coming to hit the planet and that strikes me as sort of that's correct. That like you get information in a weird sort of backwards way. Right. That you you used to sort of wake up and pull out the newspaper and it would say things. But then again, I sometimes think that model too was an aberration in history because back in like the 1860s, you have the morning edition, you have the evening edition, you have all these different newspapers and they're extra, all like rich extra, men's play things. Yeah, it. exactly. So maybe we're just going back to the dancing Christian Bale model, and that's actually what the internet. You is. mean newsies? Yes. Love. It's a musical. That's how like 100% of my coworkers are just like, that's why we're journalists. Santa Fe over and over again. Yep. We were talking about movie newsies. Yeah. Bill Pullman, Crushing Life. You got Crutchy. Wasn't that his name? Yeah, it was Crutchy. Then you had the the bros in, in Brooklyn. And the funny thing is like, not to get on a newsies tear, but... I've always proclaimed no, myself. I've always proclaimed myself. A, I'm a huge fan of a few kid, goofy kids movies. One of those is Newsies. The other is Houseguests, and then the other one is Heavyweights. They're all. I've from, never seen Houseguests or Heavyweights. Well, Wait, so yeah, what are they about? So, <laughs> I assume they're um, Houseguests. Houseguest is Sinbad and Phil Hartman. No, wait, this isn't the like Sinbad movie that didn't actually exist, but the, the Reddit is convinced happened. No, no, it's that's it Shazam. Exists. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. definitely real. Um. House guest is uh, Phil Hartman and Sinbad, and it's about Sinbad is <laughs> Sinbad is basically this cool guy. His name, oh damn it, Kevin Franklin is his name, Great. which is also it's the name of my iPhone always. <laughs> and um, Kevin Franklin is basically on the run. He's a, a compulsive, like he's trying to find a way to make money, and he basically took a bad loan from a loan shark, Mm-mm. and. Then he tries to run away from the loan shark and then fools Phil Hartman into thinking that he's his long-lost friend from summer camp, thus Whoa. forging an unbelievable and beautiful bond over the course 
of a Memorial Day weekend with Phil Hartman and saving the family from imploding upon itself. Wow. So good. It also has an obscene amount of (laughs) product like tags when back in the 90s when it was all about product placement for movies. Oh, yeah. And so it's there's so many McDonald's references. All about McDonald's. McDonald's this. Gotta have McDonald's. Everything's McDonald's. <laughs> the movie is one of the greatest movies of all time. I have tweeted at Sinbad mm, <laughs> 15 to 20 times and got him to respond maybe two or three times about Houseguest. What did he say? Um, well, there's a great scene in which he like does all this ad-lib dialogue because he grabbed a suit from the airport and it says GFH, which was Groverton Funeral Home. But oh. he's no one he was trying to figure out what his career is in the movie i can't believe i'm talking all about this house this is supposed to be talking to you but (laughs) it's fine but then all these people are like oh what's gfh what's that stand for and he's like graduated full honors harvard (laughs) and then he's like uh grow what does he said uh he said good fine and healthy when he's like trying to hit on this person but i was like did you ad lib this this is so good and he responded and i like he did oh yeah i've screenshot all this stuff so much that i've repeatedly trying to get i want to get like Every single listener to tweet and send yeah, get, get on the to show. get him to get him to come on, but only, only talk about, about house guests. Yeah, I like this plan because it was also first kid. But you know, you got to respect the, the original movie, and that's house guests. Other movies, heavyweights. Yeah, have you seen heavyweights? I've not seen heavyweights. Kids go to fat camp. Biggest part about Aww. heavyweights is it is Stephen Brill, Paul Feig, and Judd Apatow's like first like big movie oh. that they did together. It's also where Ben Stiller was more or less introduced to the world. I think it came out in 1994. Um, Goldberg from Mighty Ducks is in it. Um, basically, every young child actor that like you and I would watch and be like, oh, I know that guy. That kid, yeah. Yeah, that's Heavyweights. Whoa. It's on Netflix right now. So I should plug, check this plug, out. Plug. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I can't believe I, I took us so far off that topic. No, that's I have not seen either of these, and now I'm feeling remiss. I'm trying to think, like, what is my canonical kids movie that I will go to the bat for? Go to the bat for. Go to the mat for. Or go to bat four. It's all right. I don't know how to. I, I do the go same thing. Go to the bat mat four. Is it Beethoven? I hated Beethoven. What? Why? I, I hated either Beethoven or Beethoven two because we always had to watch it on buses at school, and <laughs> there was like I would want to be like reading my red wall on the bus. I don't want to have to be like distracted You're by like noise Charles and sound. Grodin, you angry dad. <laughs> no, and then the part where like the the dog runs into the or no the vet runs into a table full of syringes. Yeah, and that they all was, get thrown oh, at him. That was horrible. Yeah, I have. I visualized that. He gets that like 16 needles to the chest. That's a terrifying way to go. But then again, he was also getting ready to sh- use a magnum gun to sh- put down a St. Bernard in the right, head. But it's just a dog. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. There's a dog present, so yeah. I don't want to speak of dog. <laughs> but no, like children's movies obviously are potentially way more scarring than adult movies. This is a, a take that's never been told before. <laughs> no one's ever observed that. But like the other Pinocchio, remember the other Pinocchio that was the one that wasn't Disney? It was like someone else, and there was a point when he became he reverted to being a puppet again. Oh, oh, it was terrifying. It was even creepier than like turning I always into mix a donkey. that movie up with with, with Baron Munchausen, yeah. which is also a weird movie. That's yeah. <laughs> oh dang, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what what kid movie did you grow up with? I watched. Well, so <laughs> I, I swear I'm not making this up, but I really loved the Orson Welles Macbeth. To the okay. point that I would, like, my babysitters would get very annoyed. They they brought over Jumanji. Like, this 
like girl was so excited she's like i got some arts and crafts i've got jumanji i've got like ace ventura pet detective we're gonna have a fun time we're gonna watch a good movie and i was like i would prefer to watch macbeth and so i put in like the three hour like black and white orson wells macbeth like for the second time and she was like why am i babysitting this child how old were you i was like nine but i was an only child so you know it's like my folks basically their whole mo was like pretending that it was like 1780 in the house at all times just in terms of all we did was talk about george washington on like the fourth of july we would all dress up as like our favorite historical figures and talk to each other as though we were historical figures and like i feel like when you don't have any siblings it takes you a little longer to realize that like what your family does is not what every family does. You're just like, Oh yeah. And then they go home and then they pretend that they're founders. And Wait, you guys you have, don't like, do this too. <laughs> yeah. No, they're like, gradually, like the moment in which I would just sort of offhandedly remark to my friends about, Oh yeah. And then like, we're drinking George Washington's whiskey and they're like, why, what are you, what is this? This was like during college, obviously like my, we no. would not have under. Oh, of whiskey course. Drinking. Of course. But no, it was just a lot of stuff where they were always allowing me to, do whatever bizarre projects i had and so they weren't like hey you know jumanji might be fun to watch they were like ah all right i guess we're watching macbeth again did you did you read the chris van Alsberg jumanji book first nope i've never actually Polar seen. Express? i still haven't seen jumanji you're not missing out it's a garbage okay. movie i, I love love robin it, williams rest in peace but however the jumanji first movie is garbage is it like a board game that- yes jumanji was a board game that basically comes alive but it was based after a very popular you know, Caldecott medal winning uh, book called Jumanji that was by one of the greatest children's authors who's a guy named Chris Van Ellsberg. Ooh. He was also famous for, I'm sure you've heard of this movie, The Polar Express. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The creepy Tom Hanks CGI. <laughs> yeah. But The Polar Express, the book, yeah, is, the a, book was good. is a dope book. Yeah. You so got that's the also, that's also CVA. Chris, I love that that became a full two hour movie. Yeah. Right. Based on. <laughs> Just a series just of stunning a, visuals. It's an F train ride. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but to go back, to try to pull us somewhat back to you, even though I would love to go down the, what was life like oh, as Oh, and Peter Pan. Morning. The Mary Martin Peter Pan. Oh, I was actually just listening to that soundtrack it's so, last it's night. It's so dope, as you would say. Yeah. <laughs> it is very dope. And, like, the my favorite part was our tape. I think because my Uncle Bruce was, like, taping all of the t- tapes. And he'd been recording it on TV or had been recording TV on it. And so midway through the opening number, we just cut out into footage of OJ being interviewed after a game. Okay. And so every time OJ I watched Simpson. it, like, it'd be like, dance one, two, three, one, two, three, cut to OJ being like, I want to be remembered as a guy who loved the world. And then we'd cut back into Peter Pan. I, this is, I don't this know what happened This is back when people were using, scene. like, you know, VHS stuff to rip and record things yeah. off the TV. No, That's so hilarious. Now, I don't know what happened in a couple of scenes, but I do know what OJ's pre- Yeah, pre-murdering his wife, even though he was, he's guilty. I mean, who can say? <laughs> If I did it. If the if it if does that, not fit, you must acquit. If that had been published, we would know. But now we can't. We yeah. can never know. Say la vie. Um growing up in a family, like what you were talking about, because you also did some some pretty incredible stuff being someone who started doing stand up comedy at age seventeen. Which again is just a case of sort of no one stopping me. <laughs> but like there was one sort of stand-up I, I watched last comic standing over the summer and i was like that looks like fun last I, comic standing at age 16 17 yeah okay. i have some yeah, jokes yeah. like back in the first couple of seasons right when it was all like kathleen madigan right and 
I was like, I bet I can make jokes for a few minutes. That doesn't seem very long. And I wrote down all these jokes, which in retrospect were like very terrible and also were like heavily pun based. And I feel like I I sense it. <laughs> I use, you sense a trend, the yeah. <laughs> there was a phase when I fought that, but not for very hard and not for very long. But there was one bar that did stand up that wasn't a, an alcohol bar. It was a coffee bar. And so ah, I was able to go there. Right. And it was Soho tea and coffee. And so I'd go there once a week. But it was like, or like maybe not once a week, like once a month. Enough times that like the organizer was like, oh, it's you, weird kid. <laughs> Get on up there. And all my jokes, I remember one of my jokes was, um, it was like we were still looking for Osama bin Laden at that time. Okay. And I was like, I think I found him. I think he's. You know the women's restroom where there's that one stall on the end and you nobody goes in and nobody comes out, but you can see the feet. I think he's in there. That's where Osama is. That was probably like my best joke at the time. And it was it was what you just heard. It's pretty good. Got a laugh out of me. <laughs> well, I'm also like making eye contact with you very intensely. So That's what a good stand-up comedian does. That's the key. It's the movement. And the guy who opened was always someone who would clearly like it also stayed open a very long time and so we would have like fingerless gloves and like spend the entire time ranting about agent orange it was more like this was his time to express his concerns with the world and i'm not certain he knew that it was an open mic was sort of the vibe of the open mic was there'd be a lot of people like standing up and be like agent orange has taken over the planet and i i I fought in vietnam (laughs) and you'd be like all right good good set so (laughs) you were graded on that curve where like it there were maybe some comics performing but there were also a lot of concerned citizens when did the cult come in the cult was just that just happened during college that was just i was it was a tuesday so the sidebar here if you listener to this is um you talk about this in your book mm-hmm. um i actually which got is, baptized into a cult which is called the church of god no the oh, the, the book, book. <laughs> the book is called the church of god um the book is called the bible <laughs> it's a best-selling <laughs> everywhere no it's called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences. I'll plug it at in the in the notes and stuff at the end. And Kevin Burroughs, who is our mutual friend, always busts my chops to make sure that uh that the stuff I say that's gonna be in the show notes is in the show notes. So it's gonna be in there. Yay, put it in there. But the yeah, the cult. Can we talk about the cult? It was I just I think it's a combination of being like very polite as a human being and so not being able to like politing my way into situations where you're like, oh, I can, uh, here I am. This seems maybe kind of dangerous. I'll just like be really polite and see how far this goes. But what makes you think like, because this is the thing. It's like, it's almost the whole Jeff Goldblum thing of like, you're so focused on whether or not, whether or not you can, you're so, yeah, you like, didn't whether stop or not to you think should. whether you should. Right. But like, so what, what makes you want to do that? Well, my thought process at the time was, hey, th- these people, ca- like people came up to me on the s- sidewalk and they said, have you heard about the woman image of God in scripture? And I was like, no, I haven't. And then I said, like, they were explaining it to me. They were right. underlining things. They were pointing it out. And I was like, you know, it's been a while since I've been to Bible study. And they were like, do you want to come to Bible study with us? And I was like, well, maybe I should, you know? And like the other thing I had planned to do that evening was go see a friend's like the- experimental-ish theater show. And I was like, this seems like a fun option. I'll do this instead. And so we sort of kept walking, and I assumed we were going to, like, walk to the next location together, but then there was a car, and I'm like, well, I've gone this far. I got into the back seat. I put on my safety belt because safety was important, 
And of course. Then we sort of drove. Especially en route to a cult. We kept driving. And I like they just seemed like very friendly women. And I was like, they're probably not going to assault me in any way. Because I think it's like, we're a bunch of women who love Jesus. Like, we're not going to. Right. In retrospect, I can hear how this sounds. But say, at the like, time, Manson I was like, this family. is an impeccable thought process. <laughs> Like, I only subsequently come to realize this, but they get there. They introduce me to their deacon. Uh, we have wonderful soup. And they start. Did anyone, did you taste test? Did you have someone else taste test the soup? Well, they, they were all eating it. So. <laughs> That's true. It was warm. All right. It, I think it was chickeny. Most, so most soups are. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like a broth n- notably divergent soup. Right. For sure. And like they were on top of there was like a massage parlor, and then you went upstairs, and there was the oh, of course, main you know, which I feel like most <laughs> most good churches get their start, yeah, over massage parlors for sure. Like Jesus was hanging out with he did he was known to have hung out with collectors, tax collectors, masseuses. prostitutes, yeah, yeah, rubbing tugs, it, happy ending, yeah, uh, like that's not the in the Bible, but yeah, I'm just I'll just throw it in there, yeah, Book of Revelation, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're in the cult, you're eating soup. Yeah, we're eating soup. And so the deacon starts explaining to me the all, all of these things in scripture. And it sort of goes off the rails pretty quickly. And at one point he's like, you know, so, and of course we all know that Constantine is actually Satan. And this is for told in the book of Daniel. And I'm like, actually, d- do we know that? I, I'm not sure we know that. Constantine as the emperor who put the cross yep. for the crusades and all that. Okay. Yeah. M- Mr. Hey, Roman Empire, want to be Christian now? Yeah. Or Byzantine Empire. It's been a while. History. Byzantine, I think you're right. Yeah, not Roman. Whatever. Yeah, Constantinople. Yes, there you go. But so he, he was explaining that. And I'm like, that doesn't seem accurate to me. And then he was starting to explain things, and I'm like, that's also based on the English translation version of this word, and not on the Greek version of this word. And I think this was originally because well, the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek. Yeah. yeah. So like a lot of things like that. And then, but he kept arguing with me, and sort of time kept passing, and like the sun set, and I was like, well, maybe. Maybe I'm going at this from the wrong angle. Maybe I should just agree with everything he says, and that'll be the fastest way to get out of here. So I, I was just like, all right, yes, never mind. I was wrong about Daniel. Go on. So he went on, and we got through it in record time. At the end of it, he's like, wow, you know, you're really taken to this. Do you want to get baptized? And I was like, no, I think I'll pass. It's nice of you to offer, but rather not. And he says, well, you know, everyone else who agreed with everything I said, there, there was a woman who she, she agreed with everything else and she didn't get baptized. And then the next week she got hit by a truck. And I was like, Oh no, well, I wouldn't want to be like her. And so I'm like, let me just do this. This this is, this seems like the simplest option. So I went to the restroom and I was like, maybe I can like call a friend, but I had like, of course left my phone in my coat. And so I'm like looking in the mirror being like, Hey God, hope this is cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll discuss this later. Um, I know this isn't a, a great look, but I can explain. And, so they gave me the, my robe to put on, which always a great start to anything. Right. Is when someone hands you a robe and it's just like, go to town, sister. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I I put on the robe. I knelt in the tub. They prayed over me. They pour, poured water all over me. Sure. Um, started dressing me as Wait, sister. were you submerged? No, they just poured Shh. poured a lot. You know you're not in? I, I, I hope I'm not in. Actually, <laughs> I didn't go back on like January 14th at twilight and take the communion, which was supposed to be the second step of the process. Oh. So I've like lapsed back towards Satan. Did you give them 
your address or email address? I gave them a fake birth date because I'm so smart. Everything else I think was accurate, Respect. but I was like, yeah, but <laughs> they will never know. And then later we were all talking about what astrological signs we were. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know the astrological sign of like the birthday that I gave them. Oh no, I'm going to be uh-huh. found out. But everything else that I gave them was accurate. So I was like, this isn't the best deception. Like I wish I, at, like maybe at the name stage, that would have been a better stage or at the like address stage, that would have been a better stage. But yeah. No. So then, what? So you get out. Obviously, you get baptized, and he's like, "All right, go free." Basically, they, then they're like, "Great! Well, this has been a wonderful day. We sang some hymns. I put on my head covering, and I was like, I, I didn't realize there was a head covering as part of this whole deal, but it turns out there was a head covering, and there were also three other rules where I wasn't supposed to eat the meat of an animal that had been sacrificed to a false god. I wasn't supposed to drink blood, which you know, big damper easy. on my yeah." activities oh damn the next three days i got yeah. this blood drinking competition I know. <laughs> it's just constant hassle what was the like no eating the meat of an animal that had been strangled to death and the other one was like Fair. no sexual immorality and he's like do you know what that means and i was like goats and he either like didn't hear or pretended not to hear because he's like no it means you're married to jesus now and i was like okay great all right and then shortly after that we did we did like a fun puzzle with matches but it didn't same like so how does this go over in terms of like communicating this to your friends and family well so i (laughs) badly is the answer i got back to my dorm and my roommate was like why are you wet and i'm like well i might have just gotten baptized into a cult well how wait how long were you gone like a couple like she hadn't seen me since the morning and then i'd like okay because like you know we had our own lives right right so I, i get back to the room and i'm like hey megan and she's like why are you what's going on i'm like well cult you know like you do and then i told this to my mom and my mom, like as a mother of an only child, quite correctly is like, this is my only reproductive investment. All of my chromosomes are in that. It had better not like walk into traffic. Investment. Like she barely like lets me drive. Like and I say like she barely lets me drive. And I'm a 28 year old who like lives on my own and is an independent woman. <laughs> and I just said the phrase, my mom barely lets me drive. But like if there's any situation where we're both going to a car together, she'll, you know, freeze up and clamp down and all of these things. Sure. But... So the idea that not only had I gotten off into this strange, so I, I I told a version of this story to a friend's parents over dinner, and they somehow like let this slip to my mom because I think they were concerned. Oh, so, P.S. Alex joined a cult. Yeah, and so she's like, "What's this about the cult?" And I thought that she was saying cult, and I'm like, "You mean bolt bus?" And she was like, "I do not mean bolt bus. I mean this cult thing." And so I told her a very modified version of this story where I was like, "Well." Um, and then we all got on a bus safely together and we rode to a place that was well lit and right. there were no masseuses anywhere to be seen. And then we just chatted for a while and they maybe like sprinkled a little water in my general direction with a boxwood leaf. And then I walked away safely. Hooray, hooray. And low onto this. And so she kept listening to this, getting increasingly concerned and very upset. And then she like left the room and she came back in and she was like, but how did you know they were women? They could have been witches. How did you know? Oh. And I was like, of all, th- th- that was your concern, that they could have been witches. Right. Like, of all the concerns to have. Uh, when knives, poison, yeah, death, knives, poison, rape, murder. Her sure. concern was, oh, witches. That's what she should have been worried about. So I think <laughs> I inherited my, my survival skills and, like, social acumen for situations like this. Right. And obviously, because you talk about this in your book, is this, you know, you did have to, like, communicate and put this all down, right? So your mom does end up hearing the whole story? Yeah, no, I know. Like, <laughs> there was a phase of a couple of weeks, like, right before the book came out, when I was just, I, like, 
when like lay in my bed and like didn't come out. I'm like, I'm going to be disowned forever. My parents will cease to love me. And that'll be a big problem because they're my only parents and I, they don't have any other siblings and what am I going to do? But they've like taken to it in like the best sort of wasp way possible where my mom is like, well, I really like that chapter about Robert E. Lee. And other than that, we don't discuss it. Yeah. Which thank you for talking about that. So the Robert E. Lee thing, can you explain this a little bit more? Um, well, basically, the gist of it was, I, the sort of the theme of my life is nobody stopped me at many points. When, like, this seems like a good idea, why not? Yeah. And I think it all, it all started when I was, like, they were signing us to do book reports, and I'm like, fifth grade, some little age. Sure. And I was headed for the Lincoln shelf, and somebody had gotten to the Lincoln book, and I took the book right next to it, which was a biography of Robert E. Lee. So the Confederate guy, right. And most, like, Lee biographies, which is a secret I didn't know at the time, are written by sort of unreconstructed former Confederates who genuinely think that he was, like, right there next to God, which, okay, the digression. So the National Cathedral has this Robert E. Lee nook dedicated by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Okay. There's, like, a stained glass window, and... This is in D.C.? Yeah, this is in D.C. This is at the Washington National Cathedral, and they have this whole area where the Daughters of the Confederacy dedicated it, and there's two stained glass windows, and one of them is the Apotheosis of Stonewall Jackson, which shows him being taken up to God, shrouded in white armor, which Which is is making its way into the White House, by the way. Wait, really? Through President Trump. He he selected uh, in the New York Times thing of the day uh, with President Trump is that he pulled that from the White House archives, and he's hanging it up. Wait, because I was because this is like they have a copy of that in the White House archives. In addition to the cathedral, um, it's just a it's a portrait of Andrew Jackson. So uh, I, I'm not sure. Oh no, I, I was Stonewall, not Andrew. All the, all the Jacksons look alike. Yeah, you're right. No, they're both problematic. There's no like unproblematic Jacksons in history, except possibly Michael and ugh. yeah. Um, well, Janet maybe. All right. Um, and I'm thinking of Jackson. So excuse me for yeah. taking no, us no, off no, on no. the wrong the, trail. Wrong Jackson, but. Boo, Jacksons. (laughs) So, yeah, Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate General Jackson, as opposed to the uh, Indian Removal Act Jackson. Yeah. He's, like, they've got him in, like, white armor being taken up on the most high. And they've got, like, Robert E. Lee sort of retiring and riding away on Traveler, his loyal horse, in the other window. And since the obviously massive nationwide controversy about Confederate flags, the cathedral has been faced. And I think this is accurate. This might be a Trump era fact, but I'm pretty sure it's a real era fact. what do you do about the fact that there's a Confederate flag in that window? Sure. And, of course, the window is depicting these two Confederate leaders in, like, a very positive light. So you'd think the problem would be with maybe the whole window and not just with the fact that there's a Confederate flag in the window. But the cathedral, being, like, a genius place that it is, has made the decision not to take down the window, not to put up a plaque being like, hey, sorry about this, but history is weird. Check this out. (laughs) Instead, they've replaced the square of the window that is the flag with clear glass. Everything else is the same. <laughs> so they were just marching under a mystery invisible flag. But other than that, you know, we're not going to change anything, which I love is like a solution to this problem. It's like, yeah. well, just remove the flag itself and we'll just keep these guys up there as opposed to like actually tackling the question. So that's my favorite weird history revision. That's I had no idea. That's pretty good. But, so so Robert E. Lee. So, yeah. So Robert E. Lee, like I had a weird crush on him for a long time like it, there's good paintings of that guy he had right. like nice hair cool um, stash cool stash cool sideburns yeah, yeah yeah which was a common thing amongst most 
you know, men at that time. Yeah, right? he was five foot eleven. He had little feet, though, like right. size four and a half. Um, they called him the marble model at West Point. Like, I learned all of these facts from all these books, which were just like, because they're written by people with agendas, they're all just like, and by the way, he was the least racist person ever. And he, you know, one time he took communion with a black man. So we know, obviously. We know that, that yeah. That's where his heart really was. Sure. Not the many slaves that he owned. Yeah. Or nothing like that. It was this one incident that explains away his life. And so I was reading these at an impressionable age. And I was like, done, sold. This man sounds great. I'm going to defend him at every possible opportunity. And I will put his picture in my locker. And nobody stopped me. <laughs> Although at Christmas, my mom did sort of gently try to give me a book being like, let's have some context for this Robert E. Lee person. It was called Lee Considered. And I refused to read it. I was like, how dare you? I know the real truth. Because I'd gotten onto this like sort of weird plane of all the facts lead to all the other facts. And if you like read the Lee book, you should read the Jackson book. And if you read the Jackson book, you should read the Longstreet book. And they're all about how like if they hadn't cheated at Gettysburg, everything would be better now. <laughs> But, and you, this is kind of like your pickup line. This at the how so? Well, because didn't you you talk about Robert? Oh Ewing? yeah, yeah. Well, like also, I went to a reenactment. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah, of? yeah. Because like the very first sort of like kiss adjacent moment I ever had was at a Civil War reenactment. I was dressed in full sort of vintage civil war garb yeah i was like entirely large white shirt boots postal worker looking bull outfit yeah no the whole whole jam and there was also a young fellow there who was playing a union messenger boy and so it was like there's no environment more romantic than a bunch of people who like thought the civil war ended the wrong way wandering around (laughs) in the middle of a damp field right and so you know, the regimental band was striking up some tunes over on the gazebo, and we were strolling back and forth talking about world politics. And I was like, oh man, what a perfect moment. But I think correctly for the rest of my life and everything that has ensued, fortunately, this was just one of those moments where you lean in and he leans in and you look into each other's eyes, and then he goes, hey, what do you think about international relations? And you're like, oh, no, no this is not where I thought this was going. <laughs> I just wanted to he- lean closer to hear my opinions about world politics, which is actually something that I should have cherished at the time. Right. right? <laughs> when, when are you sitting alone in the moonlight with a strange union messenger boy? And what he wants to know is actually like your thoughts about politics. So at the time I was annoyed, but in retrospect, I treasure it. Wow. Well, wherever he is, if you're out there, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so all these amazing experiences and stories, what made you think like, oh, this seems like a good idea. I'll write this down to a book. Because you have your physical, you know, journal and memoir thing, or not not at the time, but like you have this journal that you keep on Microsoft Office. Yeah. But like what inspires, like, I'm going to put all this together. Well, basically, part of it was I'd grown up reading a lot of like memoirs and things. And so that was just a form of writing that I was super familiar with. And I know when I first sort of started working at the post i talked to like a couple of people were like you should write a book but they were all like you should write a book being like here's what millennials really think about things and i'm like well i don't know what millennials really think about things what i do know is what has happened to me and i like here are the things that i've done that i think are maybe interesting and at least they're sort of interesting worlds that i got to peer into and interesting people that i got to meet and 
is this of more interest than me sort of pontificating about, well, as the internet generation would say, we don't need to have 401ks. We hate the outdoors. And we felt like there was just a trend piece that was like millennials. They hate to change in front of other people. And all health clubs have to be like redesigned to accommodate that. I'm like, I don't want to write the book version of that. I would rather. Right. Here's what happened to me. Is this interesting? And surprisingly, they were like, yes, this is actually somewhat interesting. But. I don't know. I always, the second that I've written something, I'm like, this is garbage and I hate it and I want to burn it with fire. But the next thing I write, that's going to be amazing. (laughs) So a part of me is like, well, maybe the second book. Really, the next book, the next book's going to be so good. Yeah. I mean, because that kind of goes back to what I I was talking about earlier in terms that, like, from, you know, the YouTube rabbit hole that I went down, the Cosmo article about you, uh, I kind of agree with your colleagues. I mean, I think you were able and are able to maybe again, it's through the humor that like, at least for someone like me who has trouble taking things serious, that there needs to be some type of humor in it to break down the, for myself, the, like how uncomfortable it is to embrace the truth, especially of what's happening right now. And so, I mean, you have this really great gift that you're able to communicate something that's incredibly important and very relevant but for me the reader and listener i'm lured in by the ease uh, the ease of the voice and the comedy behind it and now i can actually have this discussion even like about feminism which we were talking about earlier that i can now try to figure out and be open with that because of your writing style and that like seriously to me like it's a huge huge and very very rare gift that you have to do that versus Here's how you should think. Here's how you should talk. Here's, you know, because obviously yeah. people don't like that. No, I think one of the things that, and maybe this is just a function of getting older, so much older, so much older than when I wrote the book, but I feel like I'm glad that I've gotten the idea that I'm the most interesting thing about myself out of my system, and now I can just write about things that aren't me. <laughs> so, because um, I think that I'm excited to do that next. That's. And I, I think talking about things and writing about this sort of the stuff that like my vantage point on the stuff that we can all see to whatever extent, that's a useful vantage point. And as, as somebody who was like when they were dipping all people in the sort of sticks river of privilege, like the only <laughs> part of me that they, they like they, they held me by the heel. So like I, I got to be a woman. But other than that, I was like pretty well dipped in that river. So, you know, to the extent that it's useful to hear from me, uh, I'm happy to keep talking. But that, that's. I don't know. I'm always fascinated by the ongoing world of truth. That's a sentence that made no sense. You're good. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. We, yeah, we got, I got <laughs> I'm the fascinated edit. by the ongoing world of truth, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know if that is whatever that you do next, but I mean, do you have... Obviously, I, I really want to write a book called like 50 States of Grey that's just like a terrible like sexy history of the United whoa. States. Whoa. Good thing that that's already trademarked because that's the best freaking name ever. Is it uh, a trademark? No, I'm saying you have a trademark. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? I, I want to read like a weird like fan fiction history of like Alex, like not Alexander Hamilton because all the Alexander Hamilton fan fiction has already been written. Yep. It's, it's the on Cherno the Cherno thing and then it's everything the, else. It's yeah. in the musical ether. But yeah, just a. Let's let's go over this one more time and see how weird it was. Because yeah, the story of America is like the story of like weird bondage things that happened. Yeah, and but, I mean, especially but from also reading, good goals and dreams. Yeah, I mean, especially from reading the, you know, I'm I've definitely considered myself a bit of a 
Kennedy era, LBJ era junkie, and then also, uh, what's it called? The, the all the Cherno, the the Cherno book about Hamilton. Like, cause I I fell down the freaking LBJ series books that a friend of mine was like, hey, you should read these, and I was like, oh wait, there's like six or seven of them, oh, yeah. and he's not even done. Like the path to power, the path. so, um. I think it's Robert Caro. Yeah, Robert Caro. Yeah. He's the George R.R. R. Martin of political biographers. Yeah. <laughs> it takes him like 800 years to write them. Right. But they're full of backstabbing and but I, I became excitement. enamored with that entire era. And like one of the recent books that I read, even though, I mean, it's, I think it was published a couple of years ago, was The Conversations with Jack and Kennedy. That was more or less transcript of the conversations that she had on tape with Arthur, Arthur Schlesinger. I'm like, when did she talk to Usher? Because <laughs> I would love to hear that conversation. No, but also Arthur Schlesinger, that sounds yeah. equally fascinating. Who was, he was the, uh, I think he was one of the senior staff members in the, um, he wrote speeches for JFK, but he also did, uh, I think, senior staff member at the Kennedy administration, which you can correct yeah, me on if no, I'm wrong, but yeah. That sounds like a real fact. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but like, I just went nuts down this like political yeah. rabbit hole. So What attracted you to that era? Um, I won't lie, like, of being, you know, a guy who loves, like, fashion and clothes, and also, like, for some reason, I think, you know, what first got me down onto it was I read Legacy of Ashes, oh, which is the history of the CIA by Tim Weiner, and I, like, by reading that, which is a phenomenal book, by the way, it's a little bit depressing, because, again, we were talking about, like, the history of America and, like, how it's, <laughs> it's pretty nuts, um, Legacy of Ashes talks a lot about the Bay of Pigs and through the tapes that were recorded and stuff at the time, which JFK instituted himself. My understanding is that it was all an operation to get Magneto, and <laughs> but he turned the missiles around, and now... Basically, you mean mut- X-Men mut- First Class. Mutants are out. Yeah. Mutants are out now, and they can't go back. Right, because I think they were in Cuba, you're right. Yeah, that's the... But like I read and learned about how Bobby Kennedy is kind of a little bit of a shit. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, you know, that was really rude of me, but more or less that Bobby Kennedy was a very influential person in terms of his brother and how he communicated and maybe a little bit of an instigator and through multiple sort of takes on how uh, Mr. Bobby Kennedy affected the and then also reading on about uh, how Jackie Kennedy communicated about him. So what did she think of Bobby? she was quite fond of him in the terms of like, I mean, this is basically your brother-in-law, right? Yeah. Uh, Pre-Onassis. And, and, you know, she talks about how like he was a huge like backbone and supporter of John F. Kennedy at the time because, you know, even though, pun, he did have back issues oh, and had many back surgeries, he really relied upon like Bobby to be his barometer. And uh, that was something I just... I had no idea about and but like this started because yeah like reading about legacy of ashes trying to understand more about the bay of pigs trying to figure out all this stuff and uh yeah i don't know that th- I, that and takes they, me the and connection what they wore. yeah yeah and also what they wore because i am somebody who's so image obsessed that i was like you know kennedy looks yeah. really cool he was the coolest looking president yeah how did he achieve that no, yeah. the whole camelot thing that's right. And which Camelot the era. musical, yeah. Yeah. The coincided nicely. Was that lesser and low or uh well the people oh, who were in it? Low. Yeah, no, I'm not like the writers. Oh. Because I went to the revival that had Because it was Robert Goulet. Yeah, Richard, Robert Goulet Richard something. Richard uh, I almost said Branson. 
No, Ro- Richard Burton. <laughs> Richard Burton, not Richard Branson. And Dame Julie Andrews, although she wasn't That's a right. dame at the time. No, she wasn't. And Roddy McDowell. Yep. Oh, yeah, that was a stellar and, cast. Um, and they were on Elliot that- Gould. Oh, wait, Elliot Gould? I think so. Maybe. I, I trust you. <laughs> but yeah, I just fell down a show tune rabbit hole and heard the very end of Camelot, like the, the outro, and it's like It's such a good show, but, but it's also a little on the nose for the era, frankly. Right? <laughs> and like, yeah, and apparently JFK and Jackie Kennedy, she also talks at the time that they played that record constantly all the time throughout the White House. The oh, soundtrack man. of the Camelot. So. It's got so many good songs, though. I, I've got the record just legit in my apartment right now, so we can get the Fion goodness queued back up. It's... Oh, God, it's so good. I, I saw that they had did a revival in, I think, Connecticut with the guy who plays House's friend, Wilson. Yeah. And I'm forgetting his name, Robert Sean Leonard. And the, everyone else in the cast was great. And he seemed like maybe he had his script off stage and he would have to go and consult it periodically between scenes because he would come on and he'd be like, well, and also Camelot was a place where we live. <laughs> and, and Guinevere would just be acting really hard and doing a great job and singing like a beautiful bird. And he would sort of wander on looking confused and wander off. I mean, maybe I just saw them on a bad night. I, I, he, it actually got good reviews, but did you ever see that? I'd never seen it on stage before. And oh I, yeah. I've never I'd seen it on seen stage the, either. The movie version, the Richard Harris, with one. Richard Harris. Yeah. Which is pretty, which epic. is pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. I wanted to see it on the stage and uh, sorry for, libeling you robert john leonard you're a beautiful man and i'm sure i just saw you on an off night <laughs> he's an avid listener to this podcast yeah that's i forgot to tell you about that he he constantly uh tweets at me he wants to know about style he yeah. wants to know about everything he wants to know about the culture so this has been good so far throughout all the great ramblings <laughs> i must admit no i've gotten so many good book recommendations and i now need to go see oh uh, you got some you got some good movie recommendations yeah, yeah. and um what do you think is actually next for you in terms of like, you know, you're one of the youngest or the the youngest person to hold a a recurring column in the Washington Post. Um, what like do you want to stay there forever? Do you want to write more books? Do you feel that you would, you know, from like your TED Talks and other things that you've done, do you feel like that you will become this motivational speaker, all of the above? <laughs> well, I love what I'm doing at the Post now because I finally think. I've I've sort of, through trial and error over a great period of time, figured out what my niche is and what I can do that's useful. And I, as, as long as people keep reading it, I'd like to keep doing it. And I like getting to take part in whatever the conversation is, that sort of nebulous thing that happens in the internet. So I really love doing that. But I also, I don't want to turn into like G.K. Chesterton, where he was always writing about how great it was to create creative work and how that was like the one transcendent thing a human being could do. And then the only creative things he did were like the man who was Thursday and like the Father Brown mysteries. So I kind of <laughs> want to like eventually actually try to make a big creative thing that isn't sort of news pegged. Right. But right now there's so much news and I'm really, you know, trying to see like because post-election everyone was sort of like, do words have meaning? Do my words have meaning? Right. Does anything have meaning? And is this reality? Think, yeah. If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then now is not the time to sort of quit and be like, now I want to tell my superhero retirement home story. <laughs> Although I do want to eventually write like a novel or something. Star Wars fan fiction. Oh, man. Rom-com. Yeah. My Star Wars rom-com. Yeah. Oh, we got to make my Star Wars rom-com. <laughs> I, I have like one concept for it, but I, I, I'm now nursing several concepts. 
if Kathleen Kennedy is listening to this podcast, please, <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and Robert Sean Leonard are the two people that I'm most hoping will be there. You go either both in and out of your audience respectively. She's, she's head of Lucasfilm, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I because I love that they're now using the Star Wars universe to tell other stories that aren't sort of Skywalker family drama continuing through the ages. Yeah, right. Although I like that we've got this sort of like space Iliad going on, or not, not the space Iliad, space, space Arestia at this point, right? Or Astia. I never learned how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Four years of studying the classics, and I never was like, by the way, how do we pronounce the name of this great work by either Aeschylus or Aeschylus? I'm not sure. <laughs> some dude. Some very old dude. But Your rom-com? My rom-com, yeah. No, we got because they got Rogue One, they got the war movie, they've got the young Han Solo movie, which no one needs. I would nope. watch a young Lando movie. I don't, I've had a young Han Solo movie, and that was called Star Wars, and we don't need another one. <laughs> yeah, or Indiana Jones, but with a whip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, we don't need this. We don't need any more of that. I would be happy to watch, like, young Chewbacca I would watch before young was just, Han Solo. Oh, no, because Chewbacca was a Wookiee. I was going to say Battle for Endor. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah, no, those, those are young Ewoks, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's right. I never watched the Ewok series. I feel like it's a massive hole in my No, they're just like Star fuzzy Jawas you give hugs to. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't say Utini. Yeah, they don't. So, hot take on the Star Wars films. Oh, it's the yeah. last thing, because we're, we're wrapping up here. Good, bad, because here's the thing. There's going to be a new Star Wars movie. Every year. Every year. That's the one probably thing that makes the next me think the timeline 15, isn't years. the saddest timeline. Right? Yeah. There's a lot to look forward to. As somebody said on Twitter, it was like, if you had told me in the future we will have a new Star Wars movie every year, I would have been like, truly, you live in a blessed time. And I do <laughs> believe that. Like, so far, they've been great. Yeah. And there's going to be one dud, but after the prequels, I've been inoculated against Star Wars disappointment. So if there's another dud, I'll just be like, oh, is it worse than Jar Jar? If it's physically worse, than, I cannot imagine physically that anything would be worse than Jar Jar. Although, no. actually, my hot Star Wars take is that episode two is worse than episode one because the... No. Yep. No. I, episode well, one is a fun kids movie. Episode two is supposed to be an epic one romance. does have pod racing. Where they talk about... And then they spend the whole movie talking about sand. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, think about it. There's yeah. He spends the whole time going, I hate sand. It's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. He, he creeps on her the whole movie, and he then does. at the end of it, she announces that she truly, deeply loves him. And then, they, like the punchline of the joke of one joke, the, I think the one joke that's made in the course of the movie is, "This is what I call aggressive negotiations," <laughs> and that's like the high point of this whole movie. Where it's like the pod race is at least fun to watch. Pod race is fun, and uh, Liam Neeson's in the movie. I'm trying to think of other positive things to say. About yeah, it. Liam Neeson is in the movie. Uh, to be honest, the whole. That score, the John Williams score, that yeah, it's yeah. pretty Duel dope. Duel of the Fates, Duel of the Fates, one of the dopest pieces of music. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dang good. And the whole Darth Maul, like when he basically emulates a tiger at the zoo when the, oh, the at the back scene, and forth. yeah, when he's like walking. Yeah, back Ray and forth. Park. It's is pretty good. You're Physical right. Physical mastery. Okay, yeah, yeah it I'll has give that to you. Enough cool moments that like. And Jar Jar doesn't disappear from the rest of the prequels. He's still there. Yeah. But there are also other more fundamental structural problems. Would that be the least screen time of any of the prequels of Jar Jar? Episode, no, he's, I think he's in episode three the least. But he does uh, create the dictatorship. Oh, that's right. Man. All it's right. been a long time since I watched episode three. I recently rewatched episode two in the course of trying to prove to a friend that it was actually the worst of them. And 
by the time it was over, she agreed. She's like, I'd forgotten. Oh, th- th- there's that love scene when they're in a field and they ride the space cows. Oh, you had forgotten. Yeah. And then there's a whole line where she turns to him and they're talking about like their first loves. And she's like, I was at a legislative youth program with a boy named Paolo. And then they discuss like dictatorships. It's some of the worst dialogue ever written. Oh, and I've seen right. the room. Yo, you've seen the room <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. Uh, my wife goes to see that movie, I think, once a month. It is. Because um, it, it airs at the Sunshine Cinema. There's like always a big room party. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's a work of genius. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, this was awesome. This was really fun. This was a lot of fun. I, we definitely have to get you back on again because there's so much more stuff I wanted to talk to you about, especially in terms of, you know, just like navigating the next four years and how to openly and honestly communicate with with others but this was a this was a damn good start i was very happy this was really fun yes thank you so much for coming on want to get you on soon yeah all right bye bye you've been listening to blamo a podcast with an exclamation point thanks again to alexandra for coming on if you like what you heard leave a review on itunes it helps get the word out subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcast Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks. We'll see you next week.